remember why they all left. I would love to have him play that beautiful music on his organ behind me while I'm preaching like he did during the communion meditation. Good morning, church. Good morning. Yeah, man, it's great to have you. Where have you been? Oh, you've been here. I haven't been here that much. Because since retiring, I've had the chance, really the privilege, of being able to preach for ministers who need a week to get away with their families. And it's been fun to visit many churches and, and to be able to preach a sermon to them that day. But I've also had the privilege of uh, some preachers who have had uh, difficulties, health difficulties that kept them away from the pulpit for three or four weeks. And I was able to fill in and get to know and, and appreciate that congregation. And then for about seven months, I was gone uh, preaching in a church who was in the, in the midst of looking for a preacher. And so that was a great privilege to be able to hold down the pulpit for that many weeks to give them a sense of hope during a time where a lot of churches can, can feel rudderless because their preacher's gone. And, uh, but there's nothing like coming home. There's nothing like coming back to Christ church. The church that took us in, the church that has loved on us and loved Debbie in the absence when, when I'm away preaching and you're here ministering and loving to her. So I just thank you for this opportunity again uh, to be with you in the house of the Lord on the Lord's day, to be with the Lord's people, to worship and praise our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? amen. All right, well, this is a tag team preaching today. Tim did Philippians 3 last week, which is leading into Philippians 4. And you've got to understand the context of Philippians 3 to understand anything that we're going to say today. But we're not getting into that yet. Tim told his sad football story last week. So I'm going to tell you my sad football story this week before we get into the important stuff. Last Sunday, he admitted that he was a Redskins fan. And that his heart was broken, and he cried when the Dallas Cowboys came back and Clinton Longley brought him back to that incredible victory. But it was January 3rd, it was January 3rd, January 12th, 1969. That's a long time ago. It was, uh, what was that? Oh, man, now you're bringing up math. <laughs> That's how old I am. And I was 16 years old at the time. And what makes this whole thing worse, I used to work for Baltimore City Parks Department when I was in high school. And they asked me when I was 16, they said, would you like to go over in the fall and work with the Baltimore Colts ground crew? And I've been a Colt fan all my life growing up. And uh, I said, yes, I'd love to do that. So I got a chance to work on the ground crew on Saturdays to prepare the football stadium for the game that would come on Sunday. And then Sunday I got to be there to do all the dirty stuff that they needed done and to get ready for the game. And then during the game, after we pulled the tarp and got things ready, I got to stand in the end zone and watch the Baltimore Colts with Johnny Ninus and Jimmy Orr and Tom Maddy and, and John Mackey and all those great Colts of the past. But that's what made it so much harder because it was January 3rd, 1969 that broke my heart. This was three years after the merger of the AFL and the NFL. 
And the first two Super Bowls were won by the Green Bay Packers. So we just knew the NFL uh, Baltimore Colt team was going to destroy the New York Jets. But there was that cocky Joe Namath. And that cocky Joe Namath wearing those stupid fur coats of his, he, cried, he promised that the, 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 the Jets were going to beat the Colts in the Super Bowl. And you know what happened? They did. They beat us 16 to 7. It was one of the biggest upsets in, in National Football League history. And what made it worse was we were the first team to lose to the AFC team. So that stink would stick on us forever. And I cried. Just like Tim. Two big fat preachers crying like a baby. And I was in a funk for about three weeks, proving from Philippians 3 that back then my citizenship was more in the world than it was in heaven. Calvin Miller, he's a Christian writer, he wrote a story of a man who wanted to teach sparrows in his garden to sing. Now, sparrows chatter, and they chatter all day long without any real song. So he brought a canary into his backyard in a beautiful cage and just let that canary sing. And his hopes was it was going to teach the sparrows to develop a song instead of a chatter. But over time, what happened was that the, the sparrows' chatter diminished the song of the canary. And friends, me and you and all of us here in this room today, we do not live in a vacuum. We're surrounded by the world's chatter all day long. And I'm finding that too many Christians are losing their song and they're losing their joy as we listen, as we dwell more in the chatter of the world than in the joy and peace of God. Christian Standard article, David Faust wrote that in 1980, Americans now are hearing five times more information. University of California study has estimated 105,000 words flood our eyes and ears daily through phones and texts and emails and radio and social media. I think that, that sounds awful low. I think it must be more than that. And with this bombardment, the worldly chatter, we cannot hear the still, small voice of God unless we intentionally keep him in his rightful place. You see, a dynamic faith requires intentionality. In the world we live, we must daily remember who we are in Jesus Christ. And we've been put through the ringer over the last several years. Negative news, COVID-19, government overreach, church shutdowns, mass mandates, changing ethics, acceptance of sinful lifestyles, cancel culture, inflation, $5 gas, recession, war in Ukraine, corrupt politics. And for many, it's taken a toll even on the believers in Jesus Christ. They'll tell you that mental health is one of the nation's most pressing concerns right now as we look forward to a corrupt future. Th that is, if we listen only to the song of the world. 
If we listen to the song of the culture, we're even going to start to doubt the beautiful, melodious words that emanate from God's word. Paul tells us today that rejoicing in the Lord is possible, even in chaotic times. Now, I want to just read you a few verses and see if you see if these things are plausible in today's world. Jesus says in Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you and me, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Now, in this inflationary cycle, how many of you have not had economic fears or worries as we face this difficult age in which we live? And then he goes on to say, look at the birds in the air, look at the lilies of the field. They don't worry, but you of little faith. Now imagine our Jesus sitting at your dinner table. And you're telling him all the things that are concerning you. And he reaches out his hand and he touches you. And he says, do not worry or do not be afraid. I almost guarantee every one of us would have a, such a sense of calm. John 14, 27, Jesus said, My peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives, but I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And probably most of us would say, yeah, right. Do not worry. Do not be fearful in times like this. James 1-2, the brother of Jesus, said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And you're saying to James, no, it doesn't. It produces fear and worry. And I could list 20 other verses in Scripture that we've gotten so used to worry and fear that we've forgotten and we lost faith in the scriptures that we claim to embrace. We have become so accustomed to stress and worry that we feel it's normal and it's normative, causing us to doubt God that he could really care for us in these difficult times. Take a moment of personal reflection on this statement. In the last two years, worry and stress have been more dominant in my life than rejoicing and peace. The word worry comes from an Anglo-Saxon word. It means to strangle or to choke. How many of us have really felt like this world is choking the very life and joy right out of us. Rick Warren says, worry is a warning light that God is really not first place in my life at this particular moment because worry says that God is not big enough to handle my troubles. See, worry consumes us when we lose the reality that our citizenship is in heaven 
not here on earth. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And while I pass through, I'll go through difficult times. But I'll remember always that Jesus is right there with me. In these times of stress and times that we're facing, the thoughts of, are more concerned, become more concerned with self. And over-concerned with self produces worry and anxiety. See if this description sounds like one of your uh, dreams, right, one of your nights right before you go to bed. Worry is a thin stream of fear that trickles through the mind, which, if encouraged, will cut a channel so wide that all other thoughts will be drained into its chasm. See, the world's chatter is killing us. Why don't you take this test? Do you ever worry at night that Jesus will finish heaven in time? Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. How many times do you think Dale looks over to Bobby Joe and goes, Bobby, I can't go to sleep. I don't think God will finish heaven by the time he comes. I don't think that happens. Do you fret at night that God might be able to keep the stars and planets in place? Well, the same God who promised to take care of you is taking care of the heavens. Do you panic that Jesus might not come again? No, we worry about stuff. We worry about our stuff. We worry about finances and kids and gas prices and family drama and politics. And see, that's natural to the flesh. That's natural to the carnal man. But we're not carnal anymore. Our focus is on heaven. Our focus is not just solely on the things of the earth. We're focused. We're God's people focused on heaven. Paul will tell us today that we need to stop worrying and being double-minded people and focus and trust on him. And that's kind of the big idea of what we're talking about this morning. Spiritual stability in chaotic times comes from standing firm in the Lord. And it is possible, it is possible to have spiritual stability in chaotic times. And I said there was a tag team to this sermon. Well, the first part of what, to the first word in chapter 4 that we're going to look at this morning is therefore. So what's that mean? Is it goes back to all that Tim was telling us last week in chapter 3. Last week in chapter 3, Paul told us to rejoice in the Lord because our citizenship is in heaven, not on earth. And we eagerly await the Lord's return. Paul said that he considered everything about this world a loss compared to the surpassing joy of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. He cared no more about his pedigree in Judaism. He cared about loving and carrying out his mission that Christ had given him. He knew his purpose was in Christ, and his purpose was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul also knew the power of God's resurrection, and if it was his honor to participate in his suffering. 
See, that produces Christ-likeness, and Christ-likeness is the key to spirituality. It really needs to be the goal of our faith to become more and more like Jesus. And to attain that Christ-likeness, we must stand firm in the Lord. If we don't, the world and its worries will consume us, and it will take our song away. And listen to me. Anxieties come, and they come daily. And they are producing situations that are looking for insecurities in us to latch on to, creating doubt and worry in us. How did the Apostle Paul have, have victory over anxiety? He lived on a different frequency than the world lived. See, if I took a dog whistle out and I blew it right now, nothing would happen. But if I went next door to the development next door and started blowing the dog whistle, I'd be like the Pied Piper with hounds and fidos and little friskies all following behind me. It's not like Paul was living a life without troubles. Matter of fact, being a resume of an apostle was a litany of troubles. Listen to 1 Corinthians 4, 9 to 16. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you're so wise in Christ. Paul was always a little facetious because he was always getting flack and, and people were chasing him down everywhere trying to ruin his credibility. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored. We're dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated and homeless. We work with our, hand, our own hands, and this is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the power of li living to a different drummer, not the drummer of the world, but the drumbeat of the heart of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul experienced all those horrible things. And listen to what he says. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. How is that possible? Because he rejoiced in the Lord always. And again, he'll tell us today to rejoice. We become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. See, troubles in the world, yes. Defeated by the world's troubles, no. He writes this letter of joy even now as he's in house arrest early in the Philippian ministry, and he's shackled to a Roman soldier now, and he's in prison. He's awaiting to be beheaded in Rome. Yet he was spiritually healthy and happy despite trying times. How about you this morning? His secret, he lived for Christ. He didn't just live to be happy and enjoy life. Philippians 1.20 says to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's all right for the Apostle Paul. He's like one of the Marvel figures, right? Just a superhero. No, Paul is a follower of Jesus Christ just like you and me. And I'll prove that life with victory of worry 
over worry as possible. Because Acts 16 tells us. He was in jail when he went to Philippi. He was seized, him and Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas, and he's dragged into the marketplace to face the authorities. And the crowds came out, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods and severely flogged and thrown into prison. But about midnight, what was Paul and Silas doing? They're praising God. They're singing songs to the Lord. And the prisoners were listening. And the earthquake occurs and the prison bars fly open. But they didn't leave. And the jailer was so amazed, he thought he was going to die. This is the proof that we can always be joyful even when facing life trials if we follow Paul's prescription for, for peace. And Paul clearly teaches from what he knows to be true. This is not Pollyanna stuff. This is what Paul taught us how to live. Nothing, nothing in this world can separate us from the love of God. But we need to get serious about who we are in Jesus Christ. And Christ needs to be at the core of our life, not at the side of our life. Paul teaches us today the key to peace during chaos. So fill in those notes, because it'll help us in the future. He stood firm in the Lord. Chaos all around him. Shackled, ready to be beheaded. He stood firm in the Lord. This world is trying to destroy you, and it's trying to destroy me. We need to stay firm in the Lord. Say that with me. We need to stay firm in the Lord. The Greek word for that standing is stachit. It's a soldier standing firm despite being surrounded by enemies. And the key there is in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. He loved these believers. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Because that's the secret to success. Paul was in Christ Jesus. He didn't waver from who he was in the Lord or what his purpose was in Christ. He was to take the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles. See, the key to having peace in difficult times, you got to know your purpose for your existence. Our purpose, since we were baptized into Christ to rise, to walk in the newness of life, is to know that we are in Christ Jesus. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our God. He's our protector. He's the righteous one. He's the uh, Alpha and the Omega. He's the perfect one preparing a place for us in heaven. Our citizenship's not in this world. Our citizenship is in him. And the core of Paul's being was that he was in Christ. And that was his reason for living. Christ wasn't just a little part of Paul's life. Christ was Paul's life. We can become so double-minded easily and become too entangled in the affairs of the world and we take on the world's fears and we take on the world's stress 
and we take on the world's anxiety, and we take on the world's paranoia. When in times of trial, Paul would build a bridge from his light and temporary troubles to God's peace. Now, we know, we just read that from 1 Corinthians 4, that he had troubles. But he would also say in 2 Corinthians 5, take every thought captive, even though to make it obedient to God. When he sensed the, the fear and anxiety creeping in, and Paul would have sensed that as he's being beaten with rods, they were a battle cry for Paul to remember who he was in Jesus. And when those stresses and, and fears came, and they would for the Apostle Paul, he sprang into action. That's what we need to learn to do. When the difficulties and worries and trials came, he took spiritual inventory, taking those worries captive and rejoicing who he was in Christ and remembering God's ability to care for him because he saw it over and over and over again. We must do the same because difficulties are coming. Paul knew his mission and his purpose in life, and in difficult times, he chose to trust God's ability to care for him and use the trial for his spiritual well-being. That takes a depth of faith. That takes a nearness to God to be able to understand that. He understood, like Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of doubt, of, de of death. No shadow of doubt for Paul. I will, <laughs> I will not fear, for why? Thou art with me, and they rod, and thy staff protect me. See, we can stand firm in the Lord. If you just stand, troubles and worries are going to destroy you. You need to stand firm in the Lord. We also need to stand firm in the unity in the Lord that comes from being included in God's church. And there are times church unity gets out of whack. And if it does, there will be no peace. There will be more worries and frets. And Paul was saying in verse 2, I plead with Judea and I plead with Syneche to be of the same mind as the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have been contending at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Nothing ruins God's peace more than strife among God's people. And God so loved the Philippians, Paul so loved the Philippians that he labored beside them. And he labored beside these women who were really prominent in the life of the church in Philippi. And, and he called for a co-worker. It could have been Epaphroditus that Tim mentioned last week. He could have been some other person there. But he elicits the aids of an unidentified co-worker to help them get back on track for the good of the church, nothing can ruin peace than disharmony in the church, disharmony in families, disharmony in marriages and church relations. Paul says, stand firm in troubled times. Even in the church, in the unity of the Lord, have the same mind as Christ. And he said, stand firm in the joy of the Lord. And I love this text, but it does seem Pollyannish. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. 
That'd be a nice camp song, don't you think? Rejoice in the Lord always and again. I say rejoice. We ought to do a round. <laughs> in the world, you would be thinking something else. <laughs> rejoice in the Lord always, Christ Church. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness, let your peace be evident to all. How can that be? Because the Lord is near. This is a command. It's not a suggestion. Jesus already told us, do not worry. Do not be afraid. It's a command because it's expected of God's people. See, rejoicing in chaos is a direct result of being in Christ and living in harmony in God's church with God's people. That's where our strength comes from. It comes from you, and it comes from you, and it comes from me as we encourage one another in the Lord. And we do not forget the assembling of ourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. We look forward to gathering and being together and being in Christ's church and hearing wonderful worship and songs of praise to remind us to put our mind at ease and put our worries beside. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. Life's chaos, we're to seek his presence. And the only way we can rejoice in the storm is because we're comforted by the Lord's presence. Verse 4, the key is the Lord is near. When we're in his presence, his love and comfort begin the process of having our concerns melt away like you're putting butter on a piece of hot corn on the cob. When we go to the Lord and get seriously into his presence, God soothes our hurts and he soothes our fears and anxieties we draw close to him. Think of Daniel in the lion's den. The king's looking in thinking, Jesus, they haven't even eaten him yet. Daniel's sitting back. This is the most comfortable sleep I've ever had on these comfortable, comfortable lions with such soft fur. Rack, Shack, and Benny were thrown into the fire by Nebuchadnezzar. And what did he see standing? He threw, put three in there, but what did he see in there? He saw how many? Four. Because we believe the Lord was there. Psalm 94, 19 says, When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. And the key to the peace that will pass understanding is our proximity to the Lord's presence. We don't rejoice that we get cancer. We don't rejoice that we lose our job. We don't rejoice with five-hour gas and political turmoil, or if our spouse dies, but we've become heavenly-minded people, and we know enough because of God's word to seek his presence in chaos, knowing that we are temporarily weak 
and we're vulnerable and we're afraid and the only place people will, peace will come from is in the very presence of the Lord. It's not coming through drugs. It's not coming through another car. It's not coming through new golf clubs. It's coming from our presence in the Lord. See, when we're in his presence, faith grows. Fear drains away. We remember he works all things to our good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that's what Paul did. And it worked for him. And it will work for us because it's a command to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. But it's our choice to live with fear, worry, and anxiety or let our presence in the Lord bring us peace. But let me warn you, casual Christianity never is comforting because it's not even understood by God. Lukewarm faith is an incubator of fear and worry because we're double-minded. We're trying to live in the world and just throw God a bone. It's got to be the other way around. We live in Christ and throw the, throw the world a bone. Yeah, I'll watch a little football on Sunday, but it's not the do-all and end-all anymore. I'll enjoy the pleasures of travel and vacation, but even in travel and vacation, I am centered in Christ Jesus. And I know to be on the lookout to spread the good news of the Lord. Then he says in verse 6 and 7, stand firm in the peace of the Lord. And listen to what he says. I know it sounds crazy, but this is what he's telling us. Do not be anxious about anything. And you say, huh? But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Get this. Get this. It's the whole message. Will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? The command's not to be anxious. It's contingent on being in God's presence. And that's Paul's secret to peace. When we enter it in faith and through prayer and through petition, with thanksgiving, God says his peace will pursue you. And the benefits is peace. The tag team event is he'll guard your mind and your heart. Can you say amen? amen? Now, I'm not going to do it because it's going to take up too much time. But if I ask Dale and Alan and Leon Page to come down to the front to protect me, and I tell them, Heidi, you try to get at me. And Dale and Alan and Leon Page there. Do you think Heidi's going to be able to get at me? <laughs> Heck no. Because they're, <laughs> she might be wire, more wiry than you think. They're going to protect me. When we're in God's presence, Paul says through experience, he will guard our mind and our heart. And you know what that equals? It equals peace 
that passes all understanding. It comes because God guards our mind and he guards our heart because we've jettisoned worldly priorities and activities and we've chosen his presence. The peace only comes as we stand firm in the Lord. And this sure indication is that we are, uh, worry is a sure indication that we're standing a little outside of God's presence too frequently. Finally, he says what Jordan was alluding to. You want to stop a preacher who's getting ready to, to heart that's getting ready to preach? When the communion guy says, I'm going to start talking from Dennis's text. <laughs> <laughs> Verse 8 and 9, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. He's saying to keep personal peace and joy, we are to dwell on the beauty that flows from faith. What we do is not a get to, it's not a got to thing, it's a get to thing. Reading and studying and learning more about God and his apostles and people and, and learn about the cities that he went to and all the things he experienced is our way to realize that we're going to be okay. I'm telling you, because I had to do it, turn the TV off, absorb more of God's word, remember his promises, do good for others, hang with believers, do right even when it's not fashionable. Dwell in the goodness of God and see if your outlook doesn't improve. Paul says, if you're struggling, just follow me as I follow Christ. Look at verse 9 as we close. Whatever you've learned or whatever you've received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will, will be with you. Paul's telling the Philippians in his crisis of imprisonment near death, he said, you just continue to follow me as I follow Christ, and the peace of God will follow you as well. So spiritual stability, like core training, takes work. If you want to be healthy and strong, you got to build your core. So First thing we have to do, you have to believe that rejoicing in the Lord always is possible. So I believe many of us never thought that was true. It's a nice Bible verse, nice VBS stuff, but it can't be true. Then you need to know that joy is a command. It's not a suggestion. I want you today, pick one area of anxiety one area of worry, block off time, crawl up into the lap of God, and tell him about it. Matter of fact, let's do that now. One area of worry, one area of anxiety, one area of concern. Draw nigh unto God and see if he draws nigh unto you. Listen for him. Feel his embrace. And believe victory is yours from him.
We can't be double-minded. We have to know who we are. We have to seek what Scripture says about our area of weakness and, and worry. Don't let your fear go from your mind to your heart. When the troubles come, and they will, they're going to first attack your mind. Oh, how are we going to get through this? And then you don't let it get to your heart. With prayer and petition in God's presence, with thanksgiving, let him know. And remember, he's God. Remember, he's your Savior. He's your Redeemer. He doesn't want, he doesn't, we can't do his job if we're so concerned about life in this world. For us to go make disciples of all nations, we've got to be people who are focused on him and not so worried about the world that we don't have time to do what God calls us to do. We need to cultivate a spirit of joy and think on godly things and get away from toxic people. Get away from toxic people. Ask him for his joy. You have not, the Bible says, because you ask not. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And what Paul's been saying through this whole message is stand firm in the Lord, and the peace of God will be with you. That's what Tim said last week. That's what I say this week, but it's not what I said. It's what the Apostle Paul ordered us. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That band's going to lead us in a song of invitation. And this is our time of invitation. It's for us. We're in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. We're the Lord's people. The world's out there doing their stupid stuff. They're running to the beach. They're hungover from last night they're addicted to the world not us we love God so if you have any need this morning come if worry has consumed you and you don't have fear that there's any way out come the elders are here I'll pray with you come because there's a better way and it's the Lord's way if you've never been immersed into Christ Jesus all you're stuck with is the world's worries. You don't have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. You come. We just spent a lot of money getting this thing fixed. Let us baptize you into Jesus Christ. That you die to self and rise to walk in newness of life and to live in Him. If you just need a hug, you just need prayer, come as we stand and sing.